Hey guys, today we are going to go pretty deep into booking business and first class tickets with ANA using Amex reward points. It's actually an episode that I've been wanting to do for a couple months now since booking my tickets to Japan earlier in January. And the reason it's taken this long is I was actually booking tickets for quite a few friends that were trying to travel with us. And after reviewing some of the techniques that we'll cover in this episode, there was a pretty much unanimous call for me to not post this until we had our flights booked because bit of a spoiler, we booked five first class tickets and one business ticket for our group. It really is one of the best uses of Amex points out there. Like a business class ticket goes for I think $6,000 and a first class easily goes for $20,000. So the value that you get from booking these using Amex points and we'll go into exactly how much it all costs, but it ends up essentially being like 13 cents per point versus your typical 1.5 cents per point that you get when you book through things like travel portals or or other avenues. And that's really like a 900% increase in the value of your Amex points when you use it for these premium flights. And um, other than being a great deal, it's just an amazing flight to be on. You know, everything is newly upgraded. So ANA a few years ago did a massive rehaul and they upgraded on some of their flights the business and first class seats. I'd say they're probably in the top three right now of first and business class seats that you can fly. With the other contenders, I think Etihad has the apartments. Singapore Airlines recently upgraded as well. And so those would be my top three. Then once you factor in the food service and the drink service, I would probably argue they're number one. Because if you're into Japanese food, or Japanese whiskey, they serve Hibiki 21, which now goes for, I think, $1,000, $1,500 a bottle. They serve that free flow in first class seats. And in business, you get Hibiki 17, which is also going for like $800. And the food is great too. Just amazing sushi being served on a plane, along with other types of Japanese bento boxes and of course, Western food as well. Then there's like nice free pajamas that you get that has this sweater that I was wearing around Japan because it was really comfortable and, and quite stylish. The whole thing is really just an experience in and of itself. And it's just a really good use of Amex points. And so you may be wondering, why doesn't everyone book these then? You know, and I think it's a couple of things. One is that there's sort of this perception of it being really difficult to secure seats because typically if you've had experience trying to use points at first class and business class seats on other airlines, it can be challenging, right? And each airline has their own unique quirks and it is definitely very competitive. There's a lot of people that want these seats, but there are ways to essentially increase your odds significantly to the point where you can secure five first class tickets and a business class ticket with pretty minimal effort. I've booked like ANA first and business class tickets three or four times, I think in the past, a couple times with ANA directly, but also I've done it using partners like Virgin Atlantic Miles, as well as United Airlines Miles. And so I've done it all kinds of ways. And this is definitely the most surefire way of securing tickets that you need on the dates that you need. So the way I'm thinking I'll break it down is we'll run through quickly all the basics for ANA. If you're not familiar with ANA before, as I'm sure most people aren't, then we'll run through some of the more advanced techniques, which 
honestly, I've not seen posted anywhere online. So this might be like a, a daily churn exclusive. So we'll go through those and then we'll cover some of just the additional quirks with ANA that are pretty unique to ANA. And then I'll end it with a couple actual examples for how to go about booking this. One being a, a more of a basic itinerary and then one being a more advanced one, which is the one that we ended up booking for ourselves. And hopefully by the end of this, you'll have a pretty good sense of everything you need to do should you want to book these flights. I'll probably also share a Google Doc on the dailychurnpodcast.com that has some of these notes that I took from my friends when we did a Zoom call to, to kind of run them through some of the techniques. Um, it won't cover everything, I don't think, but it should be a good starting point. So you don't have to like write a whole bunch of stuff down, but it is going to be a lot of info. So let's get started. All right. So some basics of booking ANA war tickets. It costs 75,000 miles to book a round trip business class ticket and 150,000 miles to book a first class ticket. It varies a little bit peak versus off peak season, but not by much. You can transfer in Amex reward points at a one-to-one rate. And occasionally Amex will run like a 30% bonus promo where 1,000 Amex points equals 1,300 ANA miles. So definitely keep your eye out for that. But otherwise, you can just transfer one-to-one from Amex. And it is a really, really good deal considering how much those flights cost. Some restrictions when booking is that when you book directly through ANA, they'll only let you book round-trip award tickets, no one-ways. And they do allow things like stopovers and open draws, and we'll go into that a little bit more later. But in terms of like what ANA is, where it flies, I think it stands for Air Nippon Airways. And they primarily fly to Japan. That's their main hub from the US. And if you haven't been to Japan, I mean, it's just an amazing country to visit. And this is coming from someone who's been to Japan many times and also has spent time in Japanese jail. I would still visit Japan anytime in a heartbeat. And, you know, you can almost make a trip out of it just to get these flights. But there are other hubs that ANA will fly to as well. They fly to Thailand and Vietnam and Singapore and China. So there are other options, but the main focus is flying into Japan. And into Japan, all the flights will route through Tokyo. And in Tokyo, there's two airports and those airports will fly to various hubs in the US. I think you can fly from LA, SFO, uh, Seattle, Washington, D.C., Chicago. So those are all options. But the JFK flight specifically from JFK to Tokyo is the one that you want to book. And the reason for that is that the JFK route uses the upgraded planes that has the upgraded suites. Not that the other routes, the suites are bad. They're still amazing for business and first class. But these new upgraded ones are really good. They used to fly those upgraded planes on more routes, but with COVID, they've reduced it down to just JFK to Tokyo. I think that will probably change once Japan exits COVID, which if you don't know, Japan, I think, is one of the few countries who are still currently not allowing tourists in. Like we actually had this trip originally booked for January of 2021, and then they didn't reopen. So we pushed it out to January of 2022. That didn't happen either. So now we pushed it to January of 2023. And we're pretty confident now that they're going to open by then since most of Asia now is reopened. Um, But that's sort of actually why I have a lot of hours spent on the phone and booking ANA. It's just because of all these rebookings that I've had to do basically every year for the last three years. So yeah, it's down to just for now JFK into either of the airports in Tokyo, Narita or Haneda. 
And there's two flights per day from JFK. There's a 10 a.m. and a 4 p.m. And on each of these flights, they are pretty consistent with opening two first and two business at a specific time each day at a specific number of days out into the future. And so we'll get into that. Another thing to note too when booking war travel is that a lot of these airlines like ANA will let you book directly through themselves using their own loyalty program or using one of their partners. And so you can go on united.com and use United Miles to book tickets with ANA. But the price is very different using United Miles than it is using ANA Miles. I think United charges like 90,000 miles one way for a business class ticket, whereas booking directly through ANA it's 75,000 miles round trip. So really massive price difference. And so using ANA miles is one of the best values when you transfer in Amex points. Another great value is Virgin Atlantic. Virgin Atlantic also transfers from Amex and is an even better value to book through Virgin than it is to go direct through ANA. However, in my opinion, it is still better to book directly through ANA because ANA releases award tickets at 355 days out into the future when you book directly through them. To their partners, they only release it 331 days out into the future. So if you were going through United or Virgin, you won't see any availability for war tickets further than 331 days out. However, you're competing for the same award availability as people who are booking directly through ANA who sees it 355 days out. So essentially you get a 24-day a advantage by booking directly through ANA because you see it 24 days in advance of folks on United and Virgin and other partner airlines. And if you're pretty familiar with booking award tickets and stuff, you've probably heard or have used Expert Flyer, which is uh, a tool, a website that can help you track availability on award tickets and it notifies you when award seats are open. So Expert Flyer runs on the same partner system as United and Virgin. So Expert Flyer will only notify you of ANA award availability 331 days out. You won't get notified 355 days out of award seats. And so that 24 day delay is why I would recommend booking directly through ANA transferring from Amex points usually take about two, three days for the points to arrive. And so it can be a little bit nerve wracking depending on when you transfer those points in, because once you transfer those points in, they are locked into ANA. There's no transferring it back. So it's kind of a one way trip and you want to be sure that you know exactly what you're going to book and have the best possible chance of getting those tickets that you're trying to book. And so this is where the strategy really comes in to sort of help de-risk that a little bit. And yeah, so with the basic stuff out the way, let's dive into some of the more advanced techniques. The first one is release time and more specifically the release hour and the release minute because the 355 days in the future thing is pretty common knowledge. But even after reading literally hundreds of pages worth of posts on Flyer Talk, I only came across one post that sort of hinted at the exact time that the award seats are released. That matters because if an award seat is released in the morning and you don't try and book until the afternoon, those are hours that have gone by that someone could have taken one of those two seats. And so being right on it at the dot when it releases is super important. And the exact release time after speaking with agents, because the agents will tell you when you call in and you ask them, is 9 a.m. Tokyo time. 
And what that translates to if you're in the US is 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern the night before because Tokyo is 13 to 16 hours ahead of the US. However, it's not actually quite that simple to book it because the website will not actually let you book those tickets even though it's 9 a.m. in Tokyo and the tickets have released. Because it is still the night before in the US, the website is coded so that you can only book tickets at a maximum of 355 days in the future. It detects your time zone and it won't let you book those tickets until midnight rolls around in New York or if you're in LA, in LA. And the way to sort of like wrap your head around that is if, let's say, it's January 1st in Japan, in New York, it's still December 31st. And the website can only let you book 355 days in advance. So you can't click the January 1st plus 355 days until it actually becomes January 1st in the US. Even though in Japan, you absolutely could click that date because in Japan, it's already January 1st. So effectively, what that means is that people in Japan have a five to eight hour time advantage over you. Because if you are on the East Coast and it's 8 p.m. and you can't book these tickets until midnight, that's four hours during which other folks like people in Japan will be able to take these tickets. And it really makes a huge difference because there are only two business and two first class seats per flight. And so those four hours or more, if you're on the West Coast, like on the West Coast, it'd be like 5 p.m. Pacific. So if you're in LA, you have to wait an additional seven hours or even eight hours, depending on daylight savings time before you can take those seats. And I stumbled across this exact issue where I called them and asked them when these tickets get released. And they kept repeating 9 a.m. Tokyo time. And I'd be like, hey, it's 9 a.m. Tokyo time now. It's past that. And I'm not able to see any of these tickets 355 days out online. And no one even at ANA had a clue what was going on. They're like, you should be just refresh your page or try a different browser. So no, none of that will work. The answer to how to get around this issue is to use a VPN. So the ANA website, ana.co.jp, will detect using your IP address where you're from. And it will see that you're either on the West Coast or the East Coast and show you a local time. And the website date box that you select dates is coded so that you can't select dates more than 355 days out. However, if you use a VPN, and if you don't know what a VPN is, it's sort of just this um, middleman where you connect to the VPN server, and the server is what then connects to the website. And the advantage of a VPN is that these VPNs are located in a variety of different countries. You can choose like, hey, I want to route through Canada, or I want to route through United Kingdom, or I want to route through Japan. And if you choose Japan as your VPN routing, you'll get a Japanese IP address. And when you go to ana.co.jp and you make sure you use like a new window or private window so it doesn't store your old time that's now saved in cookies as you being in the US. If you use a VPN with a fresh browser instance with no cookies, it'll detect now that you're in Japan and magically at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern, you'll be able to book those tickets as if you're in Tokyo and it's 9 a.m. This effectively allows you to book ANA award inventory the second it opens at 355 days out Japanese time. It's almost like you're booking 356 days in advance when you use a VPN and you connect to Japan. And so you essentially beat 
everybody in the US who's trying to book these tickets, who's not using a VPN. And you're only competing with folks in Japan who are actually at 9am local time. I've not seen this mentioned anywhere online, not on Flyer Talk, not on blogs. So it is a pretty amazing workaround. And you can even take it further if you're a bit Taipei or you really, really need these seats, which is that instead of doing this thing online, you could actually call the ANA phone line before 9am. Because ANA, when you call their customer service number, will route you to Japan. And so you can call at 8pm Eastern and you'll be connected to someone in Tokyo where it's 9am and they'll be able to see those seats. The benefit of calling in, though, is to call in 20 to 30 minutes earlier. And the reason for that is usually you spend about 10, 20 minutes on hold. So let's say you called in at 8.30 a.m. Tokyo time. You spend 10, 20 minutes on hold. Finally, someone picks up around 8.50 a.m. Tokyo time. You spend a bit of time explaining what routing you want, what flights you want. And the advantage is that you have them on the phone the second the clock turns 9 a.m. in Tokyo. And that's advantageous because the customer service reps in Japan for ANA are like next level knowledgeable. Some of the strategies that I incorporated into how I went about booking these tickets were actually suggested by the agents. Like they really know what they're doing. It's not like calling the Marriott phone line in the US. These people have spent years being trained on their jobs and they know the majority, if not all of the little nuances of how routing works. Plus on their end, they can hold a ticket for you instantly. Like if you know you need two first class tickets that open right at 9am, they can just go in and press a button and both of those tickets are essentially held while you finish up the rest of your booking with the agent on the phone. So there's no like you clicking through four different screens, trying to enter your payment information, none of that delay. And so it really speeds things up. And this again matters because it can be quite competitive. And especially if you're trying to secure multiple tickets, being 20, 30 seconds ahead of someone else who wants that ticket makes a difference. And so if you want to maximize your odds, calling in is the way to go. Especially if you're trying to fly out on the more competitive days, like a Friday, Saturday or Sunday where everyone's trying to fly out. Or if you're trying to fly with a partner or with multiple people, it can be tough, but very doable because doing this exact method was how we got those five first class and one business class for six people. And it was only one business class because one of our friends didn't have enough Amex points to do first. It wasn't that we couldn't get six first class tickets. We're all traveling within a day or two of each other because we sort of staggered it where I grabbed two from the 10 a.m. flight. Our friends grabbed two from the 4 p.m. flight. Another friend grabbed the 10 a.m. the next day, etc. And so that's sort of how you need to coordinate it if you are trying to do it with a big group. But, you know, this approach really does work. It just requires a little bit of advanced planning and preparation and, and phone time. And that's where having the VPN comes in useful, even if you're doing it over the phone, because as you may have guessed, if you do it over the phone, you don't need the VPN because you're calling someone in Japan who can see this availability. But the VPN is helpful because you can do and should do a couple practice runs before, like just pretend that you're going to fly out on a Thursday, a couple days before your actual flight and just go online with a VPN and scope it out. See how quickly these tickets are being booked kind of walk yourself through the online booking process as if you were going to get those tickets so you know exactly what's entailed and, and how the website works and all of that stuff. I think though, if you're single, 
or you're just booking a business class ticket on a pretty flexible date that's not a weekend, a lot easier. And you could get by potentially without calling in and just doing it online yourself. And the advantage of doing it online using your VPN still so that you can see the availability sooner is that you can change those dates online. Like if you make an online booking, you can modify the booking online. If you book it over the phone, you lose the ability to make changes online and only by calling in can you make changes. So that is a downside of doing it over the phone, but I think it is worth the additional time advantage. Plus, the main reason though to do it over the phone is that more complex routings like adding a stopover or another connection or doing an open draw, those can only be done over the phone. The online system doesn't support it. That's one of the quirks with ANA. And yeah, let's quickly run through some of the other ANA quirks and then we'll dive into some actual examples because I know that was just probably way too much information, but we'll be able to apply it to some actual potential bookings. So one of the positive quirks with ANA is being able to do a stopover or an open draw without having to pay any additional points. So what a stopover is, is essentially any stop in a city more than 24 hours. So it could be a day, a week, a month, multiple months. You can do that with an ANA round trip ticket without the points cost changing. You can also do an open draw and an open draw is essentially you fly into one city, let's say Tokyo, and then you fly back, return from a different city, let's say Osaka. So you've changed those arrival and departure cities, but that is totally allowable and doable on an ANA award booking. You can also add additional connections within the country that you're in. So if you fly into Tokyo, you can then take a connection over into Osaka and you'd be able to do that without paying for the price of a Tokyo to Osaka flight. So the combination of being able to do all three of those things ends up making ANA award flights super flexible. For example, you could fly into Tokyo and take a connection into Osaka, hang out in Osaka, then fly back from Osaka to Tokyo and spend a week in Tokyo, then take the Tokyo back to JFK flight. And that would be considered one round trip booking because you did a stopover in Tokyo and you added those Osaka legs of the journey for free. The only downside is you can't book that kind of a complex scenario online. And usually when you call in over the phone, there's a $25 phone fee, which you only pay once. Like if you have to call back later about the same flight, you don't pay another $25. So not a big deal, but with these complex bookings where you literally can't do it online, they'll waive that $25 phone fee as well. So while overall that is a pretty positive thing to be able to do these open draw stopovers, connections, all that stuff, the cost of that though is that ANA does require you to book round trip awards. And that is one of the more annoying quirks with ANA, as we'll see later with some of these scenarios, because it means that at the time of booking, both your outbound and your inbound need to be bookable. And so if you're booking right at that 355 days in the future window, the return flight's not actually going to be bookable yet because you leave on the 355th day, it takes time to fly to Tokyo and they're 16 hours ahead. So you arrive on the 356th or even 7th day, which is a problem because the system is not going to let you book a return flight that's 356 days or 57 days out in the future. So the way logistically to sort of make it happen is that actually the earliest you can book an outbound departing flight is 354 days in the future. 
there's that extra day where even though the flight from the US to Japan is available and bookable, you can't book it because the return isn't bookable yet. But once that return flight enters into the 355 day window, you can just grab that return flight. And the return flight is essentially just a dummy flight. It just is there to let you book the outbound and do it as a round trip. And then a couple weeks later, you can call back or go online and change that return flight to be the date that you actually want. The frustrating thing, though, is that this issue of not being able to book the return flight until a day later, that's unique to the US. Someone who's based in Japan and trying to book a trip that goes from Japan to the US and back to Japan could actually book both the outbound and the return on the 355th day due to the fact that the US is 16 hours behind. So you can essentially leave, get there before you left from a time zone perspective, and book your return flight for that very same day. And so that does give folks in Japan a one day advantage over folks traveling from the US because they can go in and essentially. Snag the 355th day award availability immediately when it opens, where someone coming from the US needs to wait that extra day so that they can book that return flight. Unfortunately, there's nothing really you can do about that. It's sort of just how the system works. But by applying some of these other methods, you can increase your odds quite a bit. And especially if you're trying to do things like add another connection or add a stopover. Those increase your travel time, which then means your dummy return flight needs to be even further pushed out more than a day later. So, the better strategy actually is to not add those connections and stopovers until later on. So, what you can do is when you call in, and this can only be done via phone call, they can grant you a three day hold. You do still need to have all the points in your account. They won't hold flights before the point transfer has already occurred. But if you have those points and you're looking to do a complex route, it's better to have them hold the simpler route first so that you have that outbound flight totally secured. Like you book the outbound for 354 days in the future, book the dummy return for 355 days in the future, and you have them hold that itinerary. And within those three days while it's held, maybe on the second or third day, you call back and you push that dummy return out by another day or two. So that then you can insert your additional legs. Like if you want to insert a connection to another city in Japan, or if you want to add a stopover in Tokyo, you can insert those during your hold period. Because the unique thing about holds with ANA is that if the trip is on hold, you're allowed to change the destination and you're allowed to add connections and all that good stuff. Whereas once a ticket is booked, You are not able to change the destination or add connections or do any of that anymore. The only thing you can change once it's booked is the date. So you can change dates at any time, whether it's a hold or a booking, but only during a hold can you change the destinations. One caveat to this is that ANA does treat Narita and Haneda, the two airports around Tokyo, as the same airport in the sense that you can change between those airports even on a fully booked. Trip. So, usually you can't change destinations, but if you decided because the flight to Narita is a better time than the flight that goes into Haneda, you can do that even though the flight is booked because, for the purposes of this award booking through ANA, ANA treats that as the same destination. So, that's the only sort of destination switch you're allowed to make. I think there's a couple other destinations like that in Japan that are so close by to each other that ANA will. 
let you switch between the two of them. And that's a great thing because that opens up an additional flight that you can now book. But otherwise, there are no changes allowed in your destination once it's booked. So the hold is how you get around that. But there's actually an even better hold than the three-day hold that you request over the phone, which is a waitlist hold. And I didn't know about this until actually one of the ANA agents basically walked me through this process. But essentially, ANA flights can also be waitlisted. And usually waitlisting a flight is not that great of an idea just because most times the waitlist doesn't actually clear. I think at around two weeks before that waitlisted flight is supposed to depart, everyone on the waitlist is just canceled. But what you could do is, let's say the JFK to Tokyo flight is open and now you need to book your dummy return. And if that flight is now waitlisted, that's actually okay. And maybe even better, because for you, that dummy return is just a dummy. So you aren't actually trying to have that waitlist clear. You just needed to book that return so that it counts as a round-trip ticket, right? So what ends up happening when you try and book that round-trip ticket is that the outbound flight from New York to JFK will be held. It's yours, you're not going to lose it, but it's essentially held because your whole trip is held because the return flight is waitlisted. And so that's a good thing because when the whole trip is held due to one of your flights being on a waitlist, that hold isn't a three-day hold. That hold will last all the way up until two weeks before your flight when all the waitlists are canceled. So if you're trying to book something a year out and you don't necessarily know when you want the return portion to be yet, or you just don't want to have to call ANA back within that three-day hold period, you want to call them back in two weeks when your return flight is actually available, the waitlist hold lets you do that because that hold lasts all the way up until 14 days before your flight. So that means you only have to call ANA back once to update the dummy flight to be the flight you actually want. You don't have to call and do this interim thing where you push the dummy flight out by a few days so that you can squeeze in other connections. You can just wait and grab your real return and insert your real connections and stopovers that you want and then have them finalize that whole booking at that time. And on the off chance that your waitlist dummy return flight actually clears, the way it works with ANA is that you don't just automatically now get inserted into the flight and everything gets ticketed. They'll send you an email and at that point you have three days to decide whether or not you want to move from the waitlist into the new spot that just opened and have everything ticketed. And if it doesn't clear, which is most likely the case, you have as many days as you want to call back and update the flight itinerary to have your real return. This was something actually that one of the ANA agents suggested to me when I was inquiring about a hold. She was like, well, instead of doing this, why don't you actually just grab one of these waitlisted flights for your return? And that way, you can just have it held indefinitely until the waitlist clears. And if the waitlist clears, you'll have three days to then decide what you want to do, which works out better than just requesting a three-day hold right now on a return flight that wasn't waitlisted. And so, yeah, these ANA agents are super knowledgeable. I mean, I've probably spent four or five hours chatting with them, asking various routing questions. And the last quirk I wanted to mention is that when you are using ANA online to search for flights and potentially even book your flights, always use their multi-city search option, not the round trip search option. The website is pretty crappy and ancient, but it displays all the information you need. However, when you search for award flights using the round trip area, 
it tries to construct logical routes and won't show you some of the possible options like flying out to Japan and flying back the very same day because that's just not a, a logical thing for someone to do that you're in the airport for like an hour and then you take the trip right back. So round trip won't show you that kind of availability. So even when you're constructing a round trip itinerary, you would still use multi-city search. The main downside of multi-city search is that it does it one day at a time for specific days, but it will 100% show you the true availability on the days that you enter. Whereas with round trip, it will show you a window of plus minus, I think, three days. So sort of like a, a week calendar view, but because they're trying to construct logical routes, you're not going to see all of the possible flights. So with all of that stuff in mind, let's now kind of move into doing an actual example of a, a basic booking that you could do, because I know that was a lot of information to digest. I want to give some examples so that you can hopefully try and practically apply some of this stuff. And so let's start with a really, really simple basic route. Let's say you want to go to Japan next year on April 1st of 2023 because you want to go see all of the, the awesome pink cherry blossoms, which is a pretty a famous thing. And so you want to arrive in Tokyo on Saturday, April 1st. Now, the easy mode for this is from a trip perspective, like you want to spend two weeks in Tokyo and you're going to pay for your own exploration within Japan using like Tokyo as your home base. So maybe you take a train, a bullet train or a flight over to Osaka, which then gives you access to like Kyoto and all the ancient temples there, which is very cool. Or you want to go snowboarding or skiing in Naseko, but you're going to pay for all of that inter-Japan travel yourself. So if you're really just flying to Tokyo and Tokyo back to JFK, you can book this entirely online if you wanted to, or if you wanted to boost your odds, you could call in via their phone line. But either way, via online or over the phone, you'll want to make your booking 355 days before April 1st of 2023, because that's when those award flights will open. And there's a lot of online calculators that you can use to see when that date exactly is. And for April 1st, 2023, 355 days before that is April 11th. And those flights will open at 9 a.m. on April 11th, Tokyo time. But because you're in the US and Tokyo is 13 hours ahead of New York, that's going to be bookable the day before at 8 p.m. Eastern time or 5 p.m. Pacific time. So on April 10th, not April 11th. Due to that time zone change, you're essentially able to book it 356 days in advance in the evening of the day before. And if you remember, the way to actually see that availability the evening before is to use a VPN that routes through Japan while you're in the US. However, you can't actually book it yet on that day because you also need the return flight to be bookable, your dummy return flight. And that dummy return flight, the soonest it can return due to the flight time and the time change is on April 2nd of 2023 because you're leaving the US on April 1st of 2023. And April 2nd of 2023 won't open until 355 days before that which is 9 a.m. on April 12th of 2022 in Tokyo, which translates into the evening of April 11th if you're using your VPN. So even though your outbound was available on April 10th at night, your return, your inbound, is not going to be available till April 11th at night, a day later. So you do have that one day time frame where you're sort of just 
sitting and hoping nobody from Japan who wants to visit the US happens to grab those seats because they're the only people really that can pull that off and take that seat in that one day time frame. One positive thing though is that you do have two chances to book your April 1st flight. There's two chances because there's two flights. There's two flights going from JFK to Tokyo and two flights coming from Tokyo to JFK. One's at 10 a.m. and one's at 4 p.m. Your 10 a.m. flight from New York, due to the way the time change and travel time works, requires that extra day until April 2nd for you to return home if you left on April 1st. However, that 4 p.m. flight from New York actually requires you to wait until April 3rd before you can book a flight back home. And that's just because there's that six hour difference in flight times, which then you just miss that return flight coming back home. And so you have to wait an extra day. So, your two opportunities to secure an outbound on the date that you want is plus one day and plus two days after the award space is released. So, plan A is that one day after the April 1st flights are released, the April 2nd returns are available. And so that's when you go ahead and book both your outbound and your inbound. And the way to do that is assuming you're in New York and the flights release at 8 p.m. New York time, you call in at 7 30 p.m. Spend about 10, 20 minutes on hold. Someone will pick up and you ask some filler questions until 8 p.m. rolls around and the award inventory is actually released. And at that point, you ask them to book your 10 a.m. flight with that next day return, which is the dummy flight. Before calling in, you can also check the ANA website to see if your 10 a.m. flight is still available since that was released a day earlier and someone in Japan could have snagged some of those seats while you were waiting. But if that fails, like someone did take that outbound flight, that 10 a.m. flight that you wanted, plan B is to shoot for the 4 p.m. flight. Now, the 4 p.m. flight requires a two day waiting period because April 3rd is the soonest you'd be able to make that return flight. And same with plan A, you can look online to see if that 4 p.m. flight is still bookable before you spend the time to call in. And because it is two days later, someone in Japan could have also, during those two days, grabbed it. But the majority, I think, of people booking these award tickets to Japan feels like it's Americans using miles, even though ANA is a Japanese airline. Like it's pretty rare for these both to be taken, but it, it does happen occasionally. Now, let's say plan A and plan B failed. Plan C is to then repeat this process for the next arrival date. So instead of shooting for April 1st, shoot for April 2nd. And so this is where pre planning is good because you should have a little window of time that you're comfortable with. You'd like to get there on Saturday, April 1st of 2023, but getting there on a Thursday or Friday maybe would be okay too. Or getting there on a Sunday and Monday would be acceptable as well. And so You start this process with your earliest day window and repeat it until your latest day window. And during a window of like three to five days where you're targeting both flights on multiple days, the chances are you will be able to secure something that you want. While it is very competitive because you are doing it so far in advance of everyone else in the US who's competing for these flights. Your only competition really is people in Japan looking to make a trip to the US. And that seems to be a way smaller number than people in the US trying to make a trip to Japan. A couple of things worth repeating or reiterating as well with this booking scenario is that your goal is to secure the outbound, the departing flight at this point. You don't want to book something that's 
on a waitlist for your departing flight. You need that one to be available now. And if it's in a waitlist state, you probably want to look at an alternate flight time like the 10 a.m. or the 4 p.m. or look at a different date because the dummy flight that you're booking is the inbound, the return flight. And so once you've secured your outbound with the dummy inbound flight, you'll just need to set a reminder to call back in a couple weeks or a week or it just depends on when you're planning on returning from Japan. So whenever your desired return date is supposed to open, 355 days before that or rather 356 days before that because you're in the US, you'll want to call in and change your return date to your real date. And same process as before where you should have a window of return dates that you're comfortable with as well so that you have options. You can grab one first that's maybe not as desirable and then call back and grab the next date if it opens up and you're able to book those tickets. Because one thing I did find is that returning on like a Saturday or a Sunday into the US is very popular. Like those are the dates that everybody wants. Lastly, in the case of this very simple scenario where you're just going to Tokyo and you're coming back, there's really even no reason for a hold. The hold benefits you because you're able to change your destination and add stopovers and connections while it's on hold. But if you're just going to Tokyo, you can just actually have this flight fully booked from the outset. Even though you have a dummy return flight, you can still have it fully booked and ticketed because ANA allows you to change your flying dates at any time, even after things are ticketed. So even though you have a fully ticketed flight that goes into Japan and leaves the very same day back to the US, you can change that later, let's say in two weeks. So there's really no need to hold if you're pretty sure that's what you're going to do. The hold is going to be useful for the second scenario that we're going to run through where you want to actually add an extra stopover and another connection. So for me personally, in the case of like a pretty simple itinerary like this, I would probably just do it all online if I was traveling by myself or my schedule's pretty flexible because while you are trying to maximize your odds by calling in, it's mostly like one seat will get taken, which kind of messes things up if you have two people traveling and you're trying to book for, let's say, your wife and yourself, and now the flights are taken because one person in Japan took that one seat. So the calling in method becomes more important if you're trying to do connections and stopovers, but also if you're trying to secure multiple seats or if you have really specific dates that you want to leave on. But if you're pretty flexible and you're just a single guy or girl and um, you don't really even necessarily care that much if it's flying business versus flying first, then online is the easier way to go about this because you don't have to call anyone and you can change these online whenever you want. Now, lastly, I'll run through a more complex booking scenario, which is the kind that I ended up booking. And most of the steps follow the more basic route with a couple of additional steps added on. So the scenario in this case is that you want to connect in Tokyo onto Osaka. So you'll go from JFK to Tokyo. Tokyo, you'll fly domestically on ANA to Osaka. And instead of you booking that Tokyo to Osaka yourself and paying for it, it becomes free as part of this round trip. Because you want to spend, let's say, a week in Osaka and take a train over to Kyoto to look at the temples and cherry blossoms and all that stuff. And when you're done there, you want to fly from Osaka back to Tokyo again for free. But this time you want to spend your week in Tokyo because you've only spent a week in Osaka so far. It went straight from Tokyo and you connected right to Osaka. Now on the way back, you want to fly from Osaka to Tokyo 
and spend a week in Tokyo using a free stopover. Because with a stopover with ANA, you can spend as long as you want in the stopover city. And so in this case, it's Tokyo. Spend a week there and then you'll fly home. So essentially, what this more complex routing gets you is two free domestic flights within Japan. So you don't have to pay for the Tokyo to Osaka and Osaka back to Tokyo. And to be totally honest, you know, this is sort of a、uh, peak maximization of using these miles where you may decide that it's not worth the additional effort because those flights are, I think, $150 ish to fly within Japan. Like it's fairly cheap. So you're only saving maybe two, three hundred dollars a person by doing it this way. And you might even decide that, like, hey, I maybe want to do half of this complex booking where I'll connect into Osaka. And instead of taking that flight from Osaka to Tokyo, I'd rather take the bullet train and see the views, which is pretty awesome. And I've done that before. And what that effectively would become is an open jaw ticket because your original destination was Osaka via that connection. And you return from Tokyo, so not the same place that you arrived in. So that's an option too. And so there's definitely different ways that you can decide to chop up these kinds of bookings. But I'll run through the more complex scenario where you do get those two free domestic flights. And yeah, you can kind of, you know, choose your own adventure from there. So, same as the basic route, you want to go ahead and secure the JFK Tokyo, Tokyo JFK flights just like before. The only difference though this time is that you definitely do want to make sure that you get a three day hold that you request over the phone, or your return dummy flight is waitlisted, which then gives you that waitlist hold. The key here is to not actually ticket and book and finalize that itinerary because you're not just trying to change the date of the return flight, you're also trying to insert connections and stopovers. So, if you book that ticket and it's finalized, you're not going to be able to change those destinations anymore. So, it's key that you get a hold, whether it's a three day hold or it's a waitlist hold. So, let's say you got the three day hold with your dummy return flight. So, you've got that held, you've got three days now. You'll want to wait a couple days so that you can then extend the dummy return by a couple days, by the length of time that you waited. But not more than three days because then your three day hold will expire. But the reason you're trying to extend that dummy return is because you're trying to insert other flights. And you can't do that if your dummy return literally returns you back home a few hours after you arrive in Japan. So the first step is to move that dummy return back by a day or two or three days, you know, anywhere up until before that three day hold is going to expire. So in this case, since we're trying to squeeze in Osaka as the final destination, We'll wait a couple days so that we can extend that dummy return by a couple days. And now we can call in and have them change that destination from Tokyo to Osaka. And all they essentially do there is add on the Tokyo Osaka flight. You don't lose the space that they've already held for you from JFK to Tokyo. And if an open draw trip was all you wanted, where you just wanted that extra free flight to Osaka and you were going to do the train thing to take yourself from Osaka back to Tokyo. Then that's all you need to do for now because you've essentially finished inserting that additional flight that you needed. However, if you wanted to also fly for free from Osaka to Tokyo and do a stopover in Tokyo, you also need to insert that Osaka to Tokyo return portion of your flight. 
And in that scenario, with a stopover in Tokyo, a stopover is defined really as any connection that's more than 24 hours. If it's less than 24 hours, it's just a connection. If it's more than 24 hours, it's a stopover. So when you insert that Osaka back to Tokyo, you want to make sure there's a gap of 24 hours before your Tokyo to JFK dummy flight. And so, what that might logistically mean for you in terms of updating the booking is that because now you're inserting a flight to Osaka, a flight back from Osaka to Tokyo, plus a one day gap, you may have to wait a full two or even three days. Before you insert those additional connection flights, because now your total travel time is being extended by two, three days in order to have that full day stopover in Tokyo. And so your ticket, even though it's condensed now into essentially a three day period where you're flying to Japan, connecting to a different city, connecting back to another city, having a stopover for one day, and then going home, instead of that being like a two, three week trip, you've condensed it into three days. As long as you Get that structure done in that hold period, you can ticket it and change those dates as needed once your ticket's already confirmed. Alternatively, a less stressful, less rushed way of doing this would just be to get your waitlist hold so that you're not constrained by this three day hold period that you requested over the phone. Because with the waitlist hold, you have all the way up until two weeks before the departure date to make all of these changes. So, if you're booking a year out in the future, you have a year minus two weeks to make these changes, which is nice because then you don't have to call back multiple times because with that three day hold, you're making these changes, but your itinerary is still compressed into a three day period. So, in a couple weeks or whenever it is you want to have that return flight be booked, you'll have to call back if you did the three day hold. And your ticket's already confirmed, but you'll just call back to have them change those dates to be your actual dates. If you do the waitlist hold, you don't have to call within that three day window. So you can skip that call entirely and just wait until your actual return flight award is available for booking and call then and insert all of your flights that you need at that time and get the whole itinerary booked in one go. And there's really no risk of doing it that way because. The flights you're trying to add are essentially domestic flights in Japan, and those aren't competitive. There's like 10, 20 flights per day. There's always seats available, so there's no real pressure to try and book those as soon as they're available. So, doing it that way with the waitlist hold will essentially save you that one extra phone call, which can be nice. And getting the waitlist hold is usually pretty easy because remember, you can mix cabins in your booking. So, if you're wanting to fly first class, You can book a dummy return in business or economy or first. It doesn't really matter because you can change that later. And you may want to book, let's say, business if someone has already booked both of those business seats. Now you can be on a waitlist, which then makes your whole itinerary a waitlist hold. So it's fairly easy to get your waitlist hold. And also, you know, just on the topic of cabins as well, you can also just have your flight be fully finalized as a First class there, business class back, and just keep checking for availability in first class. And if it opens, you'll be able to move yourself into first class by paying the additional miles cost. That's something you're able to do as well, even after your ticket's been booked. So it's really just date changes and cabin changes that you can do post booking. But whether you did a three day hold or a waitlist hold, the end result though is that when your actual return date opens, You'll call in via phone, try call in a little early, 
And so right when it releases, you'll have the agent change your dummy return to the desired return date. And if you did the three day hold version, then you have dummy connections and stopovers as well, that after the agent has changed the return flight date, you'll have the agent also update the dates for the connection to Osaka and then the flight back from Osaka to Tokyo. And they can do that over the phone. But remember, because you did a three day hold, this whole thing is already being booked. They're just changing dates for you, which is totally fine, but you won't be able to change the route at this point. So even if you now wanted to remove the Osaka to Tokyo piece, they will not be able to do that without canceling that entire trip, all four flights. So definitely something to keep in mind is that once it's booked, the route is completely locked in. Even if you're doing something as simple as just removing or adding a connection, they're not going to be able to do that. However, if you were on the waitlist hold this whole time, same thing, you'll have the agent update your dummy return to the actual return. And at this point, you'll have the agent insert the connections and stopovers that you want. And when that's done, you can have the agent finalize the booking. So no more hold, the hold is released and everything is now ticketed. And voila, you're done. That's basically the entire process start to finish. You essentially paid 75,000 Amex points or 150,000 Amex points if you're doing first class. Or if you timed it really well and transferred your Amex points during a period where Amex is offering that 30% transfer bonus, then it ends up being, I think, 52,000 Amex points for business round trip or 105,000 Amex points for first class round trip, which is an amazing deal. But at the same time, I wouldn't do that transfer speculatively because those points are stuck with ANA. And you never know when a deval might happen. And it hasn't really happened, I think, with ANA. But again, it's always just that additional level of risk that may not be worth the extra few points that you're saving. But either way, you end up with this booking that includes four flights. So two international, two domestic. It includes a stopover in the middle for as long as you want it to be. So you could just spend extra time in multiple cities in Japan and all that for just an insanely low amount of points. And so I personally think it's one of the best deals for using Amex points. And I know it sounds like a lot, all the things that we just discussed, but I think most of the time really, at least for me, was spent figuring all of this stuff out, like all of their rules, like the 20, 30 hours of research that went into being able to book it. But now that that's all compiled and that's all here, if you're just booking it yourself online, I think under an hour of work, we'll have your tickets booked. If you're calling in, it's like one phone call to book the outbound with your dummy return, one phone call to secure the actual return, maybe one extra phone call if you're inserting connections and you're doing a three-day hold versus doing a waitlist hold, which would save you that phone call. And if you're thinking maybe like 30, 40 minutes per call, that's like one to two hours of phone time in order to secure these seats. Probably the bulk of the time that you'll spend is really just planning your trip and figuring out what dates you want. But, you know, you have to do that anyway with with any trip. So, yeah, I think it's definitely one of the most amazing uses of Amex points out there. And then, of course, once you factor in the fact that by doing some of these steps, you're going to beat out 99 percent of people who are trying to get these tickets, because while it is just two first and two business being released per flight, being able to secure those seats minutes, hours, days, weeks in advance of other people makes all the difference in the world. 
Before I end this, though, I did want to just touch on a couple backup plans of like, what if you didn't get the flight or not all the seats that you needed were available? You're trying to book for a family of eight and you needed eight of these seats and then you got seven of these seats, you know, what are my options there? So in that scenario, I would consider just flying different classes. So you have some folks in first, some folks in business, potentially even having folks fly on different flights or different days. A few people go on the 10 a.m. flight, a few people go on the 4 p.m. flight. For example, coming back from Japan, I have a friend right now who is traveling with his partner and one of them is booked in first class on one day and his partner's booked on first class in the second day. And the goal is they're going to keep checking and hopefully move both people onto the same flight. I've also done a flight where I was in business and my wife was in first on the same flight. And, you know, it's nicer if you guys are both literally sitting next to each other. But these first and business class seats are kind of like these little suites that are set up as pods. And so the whole experience is very encapsulated and you don't miss out too much by not being totally next to each other. But, you know, it, it's an option if everything that you're trying to book is not available or the exact combination is not available. Go ahead and grab what is available. And remember, within that 331 day window, partners are now able to see these flights. So you'll keep checking from 355 days on, just check once a day to see if availability changes because a lot of people are doing these kinds of dummy flights. But once you're in that 331 day window, you can now use Expert Flyer. Expert Flyer doesn't detect availability until that 331 day window. But once it is able to do it, you can have notifications sent to your email as soon as another business class or first class seat becomes available on the date that you're trying to fly. And you can set up multiple alerts. I think it's like $10 a month to do this, but you don't have to keep this subscription forever. You only keep it until you get your flights booked. And if you're booking a year out, at most, that's 11 months worth of an expert flyer subscription. So like $100 in order to detect seat availability is a pretty good deal. And as soon as you detect availability, you can then just cancel your expert flyer subscription. And availability does open sporadically. And so you do want some kind of a notification system set up versus you checking it yourself. Because at that point, once you're in that 331 day window, the only way availability opens is either someone cancels or changes their flight which does happen, but happens at totally random times, or within that two-week window before your flight, ANA does tend to sporadically open up more award seats. That's not a guarantee, but having that notification system and potentially some flexibility in your travel plans can help a lot in securing those seats later on. All right, so I'll, I'll end it here. And, you know, as always, if you guys have questions, like specific questions about how to book or do any of this stuff, feel free to just hit me up on Reddit or Telegram or I have a comment section on the website as well. I'm always happy to provide some travel advice. I know this was just a ton of info. You probably didn't digest the majority of it, but it's here and I'll have a little word Google doc that I'll share with some of the cliff notes that hopefully summarizes some of the key points. And uh, yeah, you can find that on the dailychurnpodcast.com. Hopefully this episode was somewhat interesting, even if you aren't planning on traveling to Japan. But hopefully I've also convinced you that you should definitely travel to Japan, even if you've been there before, you know, and just kind of take one of these aspirational flights. And as always, if you want to support the podcast, you can rate the show on Apple or Spotify. On Apple, you can also leave a comment. 
There's also referral links on the site. Really appreciate when you guys use those. It does help a lot. And I try and give a shout out during the monthly recaps for folks that do. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. See you soon. Bye.